Welcome to Season 3 of the Reformed Informants Podcast, featuring T.J. Darty, the senior pastor at Central Baptist Church in Paris, Kentucky, and Lance Burroughs, pastoral assistant at Countryside Bible Church in South Lake, Texas. We want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs. I'm TJ Darty. And we are the Reformed Informants. What's going on over there in Kentucky, man? I'm just dusting off the mic. What's going? I don't even know what, what we're doing. We're trying to figure out all the... The ins and outs of recording an episode has been so long. Man, I'll tell you what we're doing. This is season three. Did you did you think did you think when we started this thing, remember we were sitting uh in my garage back in North Richmond Hills, Texas some years ago, did you think we'd be what, sixty some odd episodes in, having these conversations, you know, chatting about theology? I mean, I had no idea that this was gonna that we're gonna have this kind of life to this thing. It's been really it's been pretty humbling and really fun to do. Yeah, man, I didn't. I didn't expect it really to go beyond that summer because I knew you were going to bail out. So I, I just uh, <laughs> I you were just trying ho- to break me in to get get you a new uh, new co-host, and you couldn't find anybody to replace me. That's what happened. Yeah, I wanted to learn the ropes and then turn it into a real <laughs> podcast once you uh, once you bounced. Nah, man, yeah. but it's been uh, gosh, it's been two years um, that we've been doing this. Now we're kicking off season three. Um, yeah, man, you got a quick family update. Uh, yeah, good news is uh, we have two children, and for the first time uh, since we started recording this, uh, my wife is not pregnant as of now. So that's a that's a pretty, I guess you can call that breaking news. You know, each each season, each of us have had a child uh, a child uh, at some point in the in the journey. So as of now, I, I don't I can't speak for you, but for us, we we do not we're not expecting. So we're we got two little girls that are just thriving. We're having a blast uh, here in Kentucky, loving on them. Yeah, man. Uh, we've got two boys. No one's pregnant, so we're we're good over here too. I, um, no no promises though, man. I, you know, by the time we wrap up this season next spring, uh, you, you never know, man. If yeah, the we, Lord we wills, could, that's right. We we could be bringing more into this world. You know, I preached uh, I preached a sermon not too long ago in Genesis. I mean, be fruitful, multiply, man. We're that's our as part of our task. So yeah. let, let's have at it. <laughs> well, man, you want to uh, kind of intro into what we've got going on as we kick off season three and uh, as we get the ball rolling here in June? Yeah, man, uh, I we we typically uh, have kind of structured our podcast in such a way that we've we've tackled um, major theological doctrines uh, in series. You know, we've done. Um, we've done theology proper, we've done bibliology, uh, anthropology, homardiology, we've done Christology, pneumatology, and, and I'm really excited as I think we ended season two with the anticipation that coming up next is soteriology. And so that's going to be the next major uh, system that we tackle. But uh, we, we haven't really prepped that yet, and uh, we we're excited to get back on the mic and uh, just kind of sit down and chat and have a conversation. And, and, and you, you mentioned just the idea about doing the episode we're going to do today uh, about worship and uh, what it looks like to have biblical worship and in particular 
um, the Sunday morning worship service and then kind of blossomed into the idea of what if we did a series uh, touching on elements and components of worship. So, man, I'm, I'm just really excited. I don't know exactly where this is going to go, uh, exactly how we're going to lay this all out, but uh, but I'm, I'm really excited to, to have a discussion uh, about biblical and, as we would call it, reformed uh, worship. So um, that, that, that's what hopefully we'll, we'll run through uh, and help explain that tonight. Yeah, well, I mean, about five or six weeks ago, you know, you and I were texting back and forth, um, you know, talking about how we kick things off, you know, putting some dates on the calendar and kind of brainstorming where we would go. So, you know, I, I put this episode uh, title um, on, on the Google Docs, uh, you know, a call for biblical worship. And in, in my mind, I had, you know, I was just thinking that we would just do one episode on this. Well, today, man, I'm out in the Texas heat, dude. It's a hundred degrees, man. I'm trying to mow the yard front and back. And I think the heat got to me because then I'm like, dude, we can turn this into like a three or four part series to kick off the summer. So I text you, man, and you were on board with it. So yeah. anyways, yeah, man, I, I think we've got a couple episodes lined up uh, for this series. Um, we, we, we've entitled this series, I guess, a call for biblical worship or a call for biblical reformed worship. And this is essentially part one. And this uh, this episode is going to focus on the regulative principle of worship. Um, so I don't know, man. I'm excited about this thing. Yeah. So let me let me just ask you a question to kick this off because we're gonna we're gonna toss around some terms that are fairly new to me, honestly. I mean, it's several several years ago I was introduced to them. Uh, I think I was telling you right before we hit record uh, that your pastor uh, Tom Pennington was the first one to actually introduce, explain uh, regulative principle. Uh, and really giving me a detail about worship and what 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 he meant and and why it's so important and why we think about it. But uh, we we had said um, that we we wanted to talk about biblical and reformed worship. What, why do we want to throw that word reformed in there? What what's what's kind of the underlying thing? Yeah, yes, we're the reformed informants, but uh, we haven't really talked a whole lot about what that uh, that moniker refers to um at this point although that's coming uh but why use that in in this discussion about worship yeah now that i think about it man we're uh, we're kicking off season three and i don't think we've actually even defined that at all so we don't think we have (laughs) man we we have royally failed uh, to even define, no, we've, just, we've just been teasing it. Here yeah. you are. If you're if you're here three three episodes or three seasons in, now you're starting to get why we're why we are who we are. That's all we were doing. We're just stringing them along. Yeah, I'll make a couple comments. I'll send it back to you to wrap it up. But um, yeah, when we say reformed theology, reformed theology, I guess with a capital R, reformed, it essentially goes back to the time of the Reformation. It goes back to the time of the Reformation when there was a recovery of the fundamental elements of the gospel. Um, And in particular, um, the the driving force behind that was the recovery of Scripture. Not not that it was lost physically, but it had been so obscured through uh, false religion, uh, Roman Catholicism, um, and things of that nature throughout the 12th, 13th, 14th century. By the time you get to the 15th and 16th century, you've got this resurgence of people uh, that are going back to the Scripture, sola scriptura. And in other words, people are taking the church, they're taking worship, and they're looking to reform it back to the Bible. Okay, so 
in a nutshell, that's where you get uh, Reformation theology or Reformed theology. Now, there are some components of that that we would disagree with. Like if we um, start talking about ecclesiology and eschatology, you know, th- there are a handful of things that we would disagree with. Um, but generally speaking, the Reformed informants, when we talk about Reformed theology, we're, we're talking about taking everything back to sola scriptura, taking everything back to the Bible, reforming our thinking to fit a Bible or a biblical, <laughs> a biblical worldview. No, that, I, I don't even have anything to add to that. That's exactly uh, how I would say that. And putting putting scripture back in its proper place and forming our theology. That's exactly what we're aiming to do. And if you've listened to the to the podcast for any amount of time. Uh, you, you've heard us make that call time and time again, and uh, that's exactly what we're trying to do with this conversation. So, uh, yeah, biblical me, worship, yeah, that's what we're thinking of. Go ahead. Yeah, l- let me add one more thing. You, you know what we've done through the podcast, and I think both of us have done an outstanding job at always tying church history and quotes from church history and in the past uh, to show that you know this idea of reformed theology isn't just it's not just confined to the 16th century. In other words, there are people that have always believed these truths. Uh, Unfortunately, there were centuries where they were essentially covered up. So there was a recapturing of those main uh, fundamentals of the Christian faith. And and from that time on, quote-unquote, Reformation theology has essentially been... uh, you know, coined and, and developed. So we're just standing on those people's shoulders. We're, we're just looking to take everything back to Scripture. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. And, and I would agree uh, with everything you said there. So with, with that being said, so we're talking about Reformed worship and biblical worship and a call back to Scripture to define what worship looks like. So in, in, in particular, I'm, I'm thinking of, and feel free to, to jump in and, and add to this, but I'm thinking of as we have this conversation, um, we're trying to place ourselves in the context of a local gathering, a local church uh, that meets regularly, um, that aims to... Uh, that aims to worship God. I mean, we're talking about worship services in an organized manner uh, on a regular basis, in particular on Sunday mornings. Um, and certainly in American context, American culture, uh, that that's going to be the predominant uh, time slot, so to speak, for for uh, worship. So, so if if I'm picturing a Sunday morning worship service, what is that supposed to look like? Uh, and that's where I think that we want to have this conversation this morning now, or this morning uh, it's, it's nighttime for us recording it, but, but uh, that's, that's when I think we want to have this conversation. So, but with that being said, Lance, let, let me just at least toss this back out there. Why, why have this conversation? We, we talked about soteriology uh, that's coming. Um, and yet when we kick off season three, why, why have a conversation about worship or uh, as we're going to talk about today, the regulative principle? Yeah, man. Uh, l- let me let me put it this way. Um, in, in in the uh, in in the book of Judges, since everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, if I can mm. borrow from that Old Testament, yeah. you know that Old Testament text. When we talk yeah. about Sunday morning worship, it's, it's and good. this, uh, and not only is this an issue here in the United States, but this is just an issue around the world. In other words, people have determined how Sunday morning looks based on what they think is best. You know, mm-hmm. generally speaking, 
um, they're, they're doing what is right in their own eyes. So mm. this episode is absolutely necessary because we want to lay a foundation for what Sunday morning should look like. You know, we're not talking about whether or not you should wear a, a jacket and a tie uh, in, in, in those particular style of worship music. No, we're, we're looking at the fundamental elements that comprise an actual Sunday morning in, in, in the church. Gosh, that, that is so well said. Uh, totally agree. And I would say this, one of, and I think there are several, but one of the most beneficial aspects and components of this season of COVID that we found ourselves in is that we as a whole, I'm talking about the ch- big C church uh, composed of a bunch of local churches, have it has revealed a fundamental flaw in most of our ecclesiologies. Most of the local church practices are not healthy when it comes to ecclesiology. How we do church and how uh, we understand the local church, uh, a lot of us got pressed up against the wall when COVID hit. How, How do we understand the church? And as worship services are molding and shifting and responding to the needs of the day, pastors, leaders, churches were asking questions and trying to figure out how are we going to make, what's it going to look like from now on? And so I think this question has, it's always relevant. It has universal application for every believer uh, when it comes to the local church, but it's especially relevant now. Um, I've I've thought about that a lot because um, most churches are, if they're not full swing yet, they're really close. And so folks are making their way back into the local church and there's been a uh, reshuffling of the deck, so to speak. And let's reset and figure out who we are and what are we going to do mm-hmm. and what, what, what really matters when we gather together. And, um, and so I think this conversation is timely in terms of where, where the evangelical movement is going. And so uh, I love your, your connection to the book of Judges. Each, each church seems to be doing what's right in their own eyes, and we want to say, let God tell us. Let, let the Word of God guide us. Um, so, man, I love that. That's really good. Yeah, I mean, we, we could just, I guess, do an entire episode on reasons for this episode. Um, <laughs> you know, like, because everything you said, yeah, absolutely affirm and agree with, man. And that, that, that was spot on. It's definitely an issue um, all across uh, evangelicalism, um, again, even outside the States, but in particular, I think we're mainly focusing on here. Um, but it it matters because it's Christ's church. Mm -hmm. He died for his church. He, he died Mm -hmm. for his bride. You know, it makes me think of revelation chapter two and three, when, when Christ is walking in the midst of those seven churches, Mm -hmm. right. And essentially he's saying, look, (laughs) if you're not going to do things my way, I'm coming and taking that lampstand. That's right. I, I'm taking that thing from you. So, I mean, I don't know, man. It, it's you're definitely walking on hot coals if you're conducting church um, in anything other than Christ's way. So, we're, we're going to develop that here in this episode. Yeah, and last thing, like you said, we could talk about this for a long time, but we we do need to get into the meat of the episode. But th- there has been a a cultural shift or a subcultural shift in the American evangelical subculture in terms of the seeker movement that we found ourselves in. And and I think we're reaping what we've sown uh, overall in the last several decades, but this, this seeker movement has, has come to uh, see it, it aims to 
satisfy the appetites of those who potentially could come to a worship service. And instead of it being God exalting, it ends up being man pleasing. And so what we're, what we're dealing with is we're dealing with a culture of people who have aimed to please themselves and not God. You know, you, you texted me today's Monday, you texted me yesterday morning and I was getting ready to preach and it was a hard subject. And I was, I, it's not like I was going to change my mind. I was going to preach it that morning, but man, I just didn't feel good. And you texted me and said, your audience is God today. You said like, you're aiming to please God, not man. And I just needed that reminder. Like it's not about pleasing the flesh. It's not about what we want. It's not about what we think we would like. It's about what God has directed. And that's how we are to conduct our lives. And it's certainly how the church has conducted its business. So, um, that's exactly who we want to be, and we're not aiming to please men. We're aiming to do what God has called us to do, and uh, so that's that's our directive. Come on, man! This is why we plug in the mics, dude. I'm getting, I'm getting fired up over here, and it's not just because of the sunburn that I got, man. Earlier today, it's <laughs> it's it's all this uh, truth, man. We're, we're talking about here. Um, okay, so yeah, l- l- let's get the ball rolling here. So when yeah. we talk about a call for biblical worship a call for biblical reformed worship. Uh, there are really two categories that have been debated over the last mm-hmm. 500 or so years, but you could argue it was there beforehand, but they were really, I guess, normalized and made more official um, during the time of the Reformation. So we've got what's called the normative principle and uh, the regulative principle. So I'm going to at least define the normative principle here, and I'm going to swing it back to you because I think you have a couple comments that you want to make on this. But the normative principle, it teaches that whatever Scripture does not explicitly forbid is acceptable for worship. Okay, so let me say that again. The normative principle teaches that whatever Scripture does not explicitly forbid is acceptable worship. Uh, So in other words, you, you could say it this way. Does Scripture forbid this element in corporate worship, okay. Um, so th- I, I think this was a Lu- this was where Martin Luther was at, right? Like that's, that's right. He, he was holding strong to the normative principle. Basically, he's saying, "Look, you can do whatever you want in worship within reason, obviously, right? Right. It, it is, it, as long as um, Scripture doesn't say you cannot do this." Okay, right. so that's the normative principle. That's Martin Luther and. And, and his crew, that's that's where those guys were at. Now we're we're not going to land there just to tip our hand. Uh, we're 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 going to be on the other side. Um, but I, in defense of those who uh, may hold to the normative principle, I, I would say that as you mentioned a second ago, it is within reason. In other words, this is not just uh, those who hold to the normative principle don't necessarily aim to have a license to do whatever they want just because, right? They're not like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna come up on stage and do a CrossFit workout just because um in the middle of this worship service. Now we have seen incredible distortions of this and I think one of the major dangers of this approach is that you lose those guardrails uh towards maintaining what is within reason. You know, you kind of have that slippery slope that can easily lead to um, Ed Young building a basketball court and shooting hoops in the middle of a sermon, you know, like it's like, okay, that's not, that's not exactly what we want to do here. So 
I obviously, as I said, we're not going to land on this, uh, but there are those brothers who I would respect and I would affirm and I would encourage and I would worship with them uh, who may have this approach. Um, and again, their idea is uh, more towards Christian liberty and more towards maintaining the freedom uh, to worship God uh, as opposed to having restrictions. That's that's their approach. Now, again, we disagree, but I want to at least be charitable in the way that we, we uh, present them. Yeah, I, mean, I, I like that you added that there. I mean, you could you could probably say it this way: anybody that knows about this debate, you know, isn't just wheels off in terms of the normative principle. You know, that's right, that's right. That's yeah. Funny. So that's... the so the normative principle, I, I guess you could say it this way: you have those who are wheels off, like you said, <laughs> who just have no care at all, and then you have those who are saying, no, 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 we we need to have some guidelines, and yet we don't want to be overly restrictive. Uh, because culture may suggest that we could use uh, X, Y, or Z in our worship service and it still be God-honoring. And so you, you have those who are in the normative camp who would say, we well, still need to, to have some kind of structure and guide, but it, we don't want to be overly restrictive. Um, so that that's normative. But the other side is the regulative principle. So uh, Lance, how, how would you distinguish between this? Since you define the normative, go ahead and define the regulative principle so that we can have uh, kind of comparison there. And then, and then I'll add a couple of comments. Yeah. So the regular principle teaches that only what scripture explicitly prescribes is acceptable worship. So in other words, as you work through the New Testament, if the scripture explicitly says to do this in worship, then you do that in worship. So, um, and then again, this is going to be the meat of the episode, but we're going to walk through all of the elements or, or mm-hmm. walk through all of the categories that the scripture explicitly says that the church must do these things. Um, so you could say, you know, on the opposite hand, that, um, you know, you talked about the normative principle and, and kind of having the license to do something maybe that wouldn't be, um, maybe wouldn't be typical, I guess, from church to church. The regular principle is saying, look, worship is regulated. So we've got these select elements. These are the only elements that we're going to bring into our corporate worship, and we're not going to allow anything else um, to come in because it's not explicitly said. That's that's exactly right. And I've heard it said this way, that with the regulative principle, there should be no surprises like on Sunday morning when you come, whether whether you've come from if you're visiting from another place or uh, perhaps you've uh, been ab- unable to come for a season. You've been providentially hindered from corporate worship. When you do return, it sh- you shouldn't have to wonder what it's going to be like. It-, it should be the same because Scripture regulates what that worship service should look like. The Word should be read and preached and sung and prayed, sacraments administered. There's no dog and pony shows. There's no uh, newness in the sense of this creative, uh, how are we going to approach this this week, um, this kind of flying by the seat of your pants, uh, led by the whichever way the wind blows. Like that's not the way that the regulative principle guides us toward worship because, uh, as you've mentioned, uh, Scripture has regulated what corporate worship th- should look like. Uh, and, and in saying that, I think one 
really, really important aspect or component of this argument. One of the reasons why this is so important is because uh, the regulative principle, it protects the conscience of the church member, uh, which means that because we say that Scripture regulates what what corporate worship should look like, and because we know that the, there are only certain elements which can be found in Scripture and supported in Scripture, which would show up in a worship service, that means that if a church member comes on Sunday morning, they will not have their conscience uh, seared. They won't have their conscience wondering whether or not they can handle whatever's going to be presented because the church can only ask or demand of its church members what scripture explicitly asks or demands of its church members. So they're never going to be asked to do anything or to participate or to observe in any part of a worship service, which doesn't have biblical warrant. And so it protects the church members uh, and it does not give the churches then the license to move outside the creative boundaries of what scripture uh, lays out. I think that may be, besides the explicit passages, you know, that we build the regulative principle off of, I, I think that argument that you just uh, put together there, I, man, I think that may be number two on the list I would for agree. A, a defense of uh, the regulative principle. Yeah, you mentioned that before we hit record. Now, that, 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 that was gold. I mean, that because, okay, let's say I, I, I go to your church, you, you, and your church is organized— and the worship service is done according to the regulative principle, then that means that my, my conscience isn't going to be, it's not going to be triggered. It's not going to be a right. flaring up because you're doing what's explicitly commanded. So there's no chance or no opportunity to, um, I don't know, start tapping into the consciences of different believers uh, that may be visiting or in the area of those things. So, man, that's good. That's, that's exactly right. So, um, so with that being said, so we, we want to make the case. So all our cards on the table, we affirm the regulative principle. Your church practices it. My church practices it. What what does it actually look like? So we're talking about what what are the actual elements of worship as prescribed in Scripture? And as we outline these elements, Lance, let's also point to biblical uh, passages where we're building this from. So in other words, we, we didn't just compile a list uh, from, you know, grandma's church whenever we were little, like, okay, that's what we do. So that's how it is. Like, but these come from scripture. So where are we going to go ha- build a worship template for us, a worship service template uh, from the scriptures element by element? Where do you want to start? Yes. Yeah, so l- l- let's kick this off by talking about singing singing in a worship service, singing the scripture, singing the Bible. I think the two classic texts on this would be Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to set that up just for a second before we read those. And I want us to understand that Paul is actually writing two churches. Okay, so it's not like it's... Okay, for, so for Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, it talks about singing. I'll read that here in just a second. It, it's not as if Paul says... Um, here, the church has to sing psalms. Okay, that, that's that's not how it's presented. He's writing a letter to a church, and he's saying, look, this is how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God. That This is how you ought to conduct yourself as a Christian. 
So then he says, Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So he's talking about singing psalms. He's talking about um, the book of psalms in particular. He's also talking about singing hymns. He's talking about spiritual songs. He's talking about singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So Paul's telling the Ephesians, and this was probably a cyclical letter that went to multiple churches, and it wasn't just intended for the Ephesians, but he's telling all of them, look, you you must be singing. Uh, This this is part of Christian worship. This is what Christians do. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and, and it shows up when Christians gather together. Uh, speaking to one another, singing and mm-hmm. me- making melody with one another, uh, with your collective heart to the Lord, because it's not just, hey, turn on Christian music whenever you're driving to church or make sure you got the CD or the, the you know, the iPod rolling or whatever while you're working out, you know, like, no, this is this is corporate. Uh, it's It's like you said, it's to the church and it's a gathering uh whenever they, they come together um and you 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 mentioned colossians chapter 3 uh the same thing is mentioned there uh, all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness i mean there there's a precedent there's a command there's instruction and it's for when the church gathers together um well i i know we could talk about this for a long time and if if I have it my way, if it was, is that the way I want to say that? If, if we actually get to do this, I would love to have a, a full episode on on discussing music and how yeah. it flows and fits into the corporate worship service. But but very very briefly, talk to me just real quick about singing scripture, like not just singing songs, singing scripture. Yeah, that's great, man. This is what I mean. This is what you could say the only this the early church. That that's what they've always done, right? That you could even back up to the Old Testament scripture, and this is what the nation of Israel is doing. Um, this is what they're doing generation after generation. They're they're singing the words of God, um, mm. and I mean it's been said of the Book of Psalms that it, that it is the prayer book of the Bible. And what what I mean by that also is that if you look at those Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 verses, not only is it talking about praying the Psalms, it's talking about singing the songs or singing the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this is the repeated pattern all throughout Scripture is that God's people are singing God's words. I mean, it, God has given, his, given us his revelation, and it's that revelation— in particular, I keep going back to the Psalms because you find 150 Psalms that you can sing up to God, which the entire book is about praising and honoring God. It's just right. what the people have done. Um, so the more biblical your lyrics are, the more God honoring the worship will be. That's man, that's so so good, and that's exactly what I wanted to ask uh, or wanted wanted you to say because it's not just singing. Like yes, our music should be excellent in the sense that we don't want to just drone up there and make a you know make a cheerful noise, make a joyful noise. But let it, let it be excellent in our worship. But it's not about uh, just having like this sweet melody and maybe a guitar solo or whatever. It, it's singing rich, content-driven, biblically-based songs. We sing the word and we sing doctrinally rich songs, which uh, inform our hearts, which which engage our minds, and which 
uh, ascribe glory and worship to the Creator. And that's what that is. It's preparing our hearts to hear from God, uh, but also it is a way of praise and adoration uh, and expressing outward worship uh, through those songs. So that's that's a critical component of biblical worship is singing the scriptures. That's number Mm. one. Yeah, let's go on to number two, praying the scripture, praying the Bible. In other words, in corporate worship on Sunday morning, there must explicitly be prayer. Mm. Um, so you could go to First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Again, in those pastoral epistles, right? First, second, first and second Timothy and Titus, Paul is instructing how he wants the overseers, the elders, the shepherds, how they're supposed to conduct themselves in God's house. I mean, that is first uh, Timothy chapter three. Look, I'm writing these things so you will know how to conduct yourself in the household of God and included That's in right. that would be praying the scripture. That's yeah. And, and I love that you included that phrase, praying the scripture, because I think there's an instinct when the when the saints gather together, and I think that instinct goes all the way back, uh, really to the earliest portions of of the the church in the New Testament. In particular, uh, I'm thinking about Acts chapter two uh, when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, mm. and the prayers. So there's there's a, a corporate instinct of when we gather together, we're going to pray, but there's there's a difference and i think we've all heard that difference there's a difference between simply uttering up a couple of uh christian clichés and tossing in jesus name at the end and you know thumping your chest and walking off there's a difference between that and we've all heard that prayer uh there's a difference between that kind of praying and the prayer that is again scripturally rich that is doctrinally uh, sound and robust that is God honoring and edifying to the saints that is instructive to those in in the gathering and yet also uh, praise and worship to the Creator. Uh, th- there's real biblical undergirding of the type of prayer that we're talking about here. In other words, it's not just um, it's not just uttering Christian you know, Christianese, because that's what we're supposed to say. You know, it, it's it's really having an understanding of the Bible and uttering those prayers with Scripture, just filling them back to God. And and I, I'll tell you, like, for, for a long time, I used to think about how prayers should always be spontaneous and should never be thought out. But but I do think about, and and sometimes I even write out my prayers with that intention so that it can be biblically saturated uh, in order to be instructive because we want to pray the scriptures. And again, you, you mentioned the Psalms with singing the scriptures, but the Psalms are, are a wonderful way to pray the scriptures. I mean, there there are real emotional cries in those uh, words, and we have that that. Uh, same pattern in the Old Testament, the the book of prayer, as you mentioned. So uh, we pray, but we pray the word. Yeah, that's, man, that's so good. Um, There's a book by Donald Whitney called Praying the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a good portion of that book is basically, um, 
it, it lays out how to pray through the book of Psalms um, wow. and use that each Psalm as sort of a launching pad to guide and direct uh, your prayers. And if you use that method, you know, that helps keep your prayers, you know, biblically uh, saturated, um, built off that foundation. Um, yeah, when you talked about being organized and structured and biblical and scriptural and uh, those things, I mean, it made me think of the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount. You know, when Jesus mm. is teaching his disciples how to pray, he, you know, he gives, you know, sort of an outline or a model prayer that that, that we or they and we, you know, could use in order to, to structure our prayer, you know. Mm. Um, of course, all of the making requests to God and supplications and those things are in the mix, but uh, prayer shouldn't just be willy-nilly off the cuff it, it, on, right. on the one hand, you know, does that make sense? Right. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, prayer is absolutely vital for uh, corporate worship. Yeah, and let me say one more thing until we move, because we do need to move on. But I, I will say, you, you mentioned it there at the end, corporate prayer, like corporate worship, like that. That's that there's there's something about the corporate gathering, uh, the collection of the saints, and in. Uh, uttering prayers collectively, uh, when somebody stands up in front of a congregation of of, of, of believers and, and leads in corporate prayer, and the saints agree in prayer, um, there's there's a unity that happens in that that is that is worshipful in and of itself. So that aspect, that component, um, it, it, it's truly worship. And and I have to, I have just have to confess that. As a pastor, as one who preaches and one who uh, gives uh, public exhortation, and but I also I'm a worship leader. I mean, I help mm-hmm. lead worship, and sometimes prayer is the bridge between mm. the song and the sermon, or the bridge between uh, the sermon and the Lord's Supper, and mm-hmm. and it's not. It's not just this little. Uh, transition piece in the middle of a worship service. Like it's, it is worship. And uh, I have to repent of that struggle uh, because I'm always so, so worried about being orderly uh, that it can be easy to just think about it in terms of just, okay, well, while I'm praying, that's when everybody gets up on the stage, the band moves and the choir comes down or whatever, you know, and it's like, that's not what it's for. It, It itself is worship. And I think we would do well to remember that. Yeah, absolutely. And, we're we're almost letting this episode define what worship is. You know, I mm, don't I don't think we've right. thrown out a formal definition yet for it. But when we talk about sing, singing in the scripture, that is worship. When we talk about praying the scripture, just like you mentioned, that is worship. Now, when we get to point number three, reading the scripture, that is worship also. So so <laughs> worship is more than what the American church, you know, tries to argue that it is, you know, if you mm. ask someone on the street today, well, what, what, what does worship look like at church? Everybody immediately thinks music, immediately right. thinks Songs. music. It, it's almost as if those two words are synonymous, you know, um, and, and on one hand they are because singing is worship, but that, that word's been hijacked. So what we're yep. advocating for here is that every element that we talk about makes one part of what worship truly is um that's yeah that's that's well said um so you you mentioned part three reading the scripture 
I think of First Timothy chapter four, explicit text. We've mentioned First Timothy several times, and I know we will again. But First Timothy chapter four, uh, Paul tells Timothy, "Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture." So there's there's this intentionality, public reading of of the text of God for the corporate gathering of the, of the saints. It, it is to be a central element in worship. Um, I can tell you, man, how many times I've been in a worship service, evangelical uh, churches that I've grown up in my whole life, and how many times I've been in the worship service and a, a, a extended portion or a text of Scripture, a passage of Scripture has not been read. Like, yes, it's been referenced. It may have been, you know, we could preach through it and I might be reading it and the pastor may be talking about, hey, look at this verse or whatever. But to actually sit down and slow down and read the text, just let the word of God be spoken uh, unhindered uh, by any interruptions. Uh, it's amazing how infrequently that seems to happen. And um, and I know that that you guys, uh, Countryside, I know we at Central Baptist Church, we are intentional about reading the scripture uh, because it, it's a it's foundational to letting God speak to us. But uh, yeah, I mean that, that 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 is absolutely right. But but this goes beyond uh, this goes beyond twenty twenty one. You go back to the time of Moses; he is reading the law of God to the people. You go to Joshua. Reading the law of God mm-hmm. to the people. You go to Ezra, Nehemiah chapter eight, Nehemiah. classic man. Mm-hmm. Everybody stands up at the reading of God's word. By the way, they're yep. reading that thing all day long, yes. and we we've got churches today that can't even stand up and read that thing for thirty seconds. You know, oh, they don't want to bore man. people with God's word. Um, wow. <laughs> so I, I, mean, I started do, I started doing this at at our at our church after preaching a sermon on Nehemiah chapter eight. I became convicted of that very thing, and even though it's not a a conscience binding thing, I I do think it's a wonderful pattern. And so, whenever I get up to preach the sermon, I have the congregation stand and we read the passage together uh, with the people standing in honor of the Word of God. And and I'll tell you, like it just there, it just has this this reverence, this awe, this 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 spirit, this heart of worship just in reading the text. Like we're we're not even. We're not even expounding at this point. We're not singing. We're not praying. We're, we're just reading the words of God, and it itself is is a reflect. It's it's a way of saying, God, we honor that what you've said here matters. That it's from you, and that it it is sufficient uh, for all godliness and for all life. And so we 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 acknowledge this simply by reading it and trusting that the word of God will not return void. It will accomplish that which God sends it to do. And so we, we just simply let the word of God speak. And, and there's just a, a feeling of reverence whenever the people stand. Uh, it's a simple act, but man, it is, I, I sense it. it. It's, it's powerful. It is powerful, man. It's like, a, it's like the old Steve Lawson quote, man, when, when uh scripture speaks, God speaks, you know? Mm. Um, I mean, and, and that's in reality what it is. It's, it's God's voice being made audible through the reading of his word and through the the person who, who who is reading it. So God's voice is being heard, you know, I mean, not literally, but but his word is being projected through the preacher, through the teacher. Um, right. And it, it is it is a reverend deal. I mean, this isn't just, you know, again, 
uh, a human book. We're talking divine words um, all over Scripture. Right. Okay, so let me let me take this into part four. So we've talked about singing the Scriptures. We've talked about praying the Scriptures. First Timothy 4, we talked about reading the Scriptures. But the rest of that verse says, Till I come again, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. And so the fourth component that we would identify in biblical Reformed worship services would be a teaching of the Scripture. So not just a reading, but also a teaching. And again, we could we could uh, go back to that pattern established in Nehemiah 8 that he would read the law and then explain the sense. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite verses, actually the, the passage that I preached on my very first Sunday, uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, when, when Paul tells Timothy, I, I charge you, I urge you in the presence of God, who is to judge the living and the dead, preach the word. And be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. But the central command right there in the middle of that statement is preach the word. And um, and that simple exhortation of all that Timothy does, of all that the pastor does, um, there, there's no greater uh, calling. And so if we're talking about a corporate worship service, uh, the the majority of the time, the, the largest percentage of the time should be devoted to the teaching, the public teaching of the scriptures. These other elements, these other components supplement, they, they, they build it up, they hold it up. But, but the central component of corporate worship, agree or disagree, is the teaching or the preaching of the word. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that, and again, that goes all the way back to Moses, the, the book mm-hmm. of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is essentially um, Moses's right. sermons. It's Moses's commentary on God's law, you know, that he is reading and explaining to the people. So, yeah, I mean, it's the pattern in the Old and New Testament, uh, the, the the preaching of the Word of God. Yeah, I think it was uh, Martin Lloyd Jones that said that that preaching is essentially the highest calling that there is. Um, mm. Yeah, so don't mess that up, TJ. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm sure I uh, I offer my best, and it's never enough. But the Lord does. I heard uh, He can make a straight lick with a crooked stick, you know. So, um, uh, John Owen, um, I don't have it in front of me. I think he had eight calls of a pastor, eight pastoral duties, and uh, the number one and mo- by far the most important, as he identified it, was to feed the flock. Uh, now, the pastor has many other duties, and there are many other. Uh, aspects of of the pastoral ministry, but the number one thing that he has to do is to feed his sheep and to provide them with sound doctrine coming straight from the Word of God. And that comes primarily, although it comes in other forms, it comes primarily through the public preaching and teaching of God's Word. And uh, so that is a central uh, element of, of biblical worship. In fact, I would argue that if there is a corporate gathering on a Sunday, a regular Sunday morning worship service, and there is not a preaching or a teaching of the Word of God, that that worship service fails. It falls short uh, of of the purpose of gathered worship. Yeah, man, that's good. <laughs> yeah, you bringing up John Owen, man, it made me think about, man, the old Puritans, they would go preach for like two or three hours. So, Twelve. I mean, if you're going to be quoting Owen, man, you're going to need to, you know, <laughs> double your sermon on Sunday morning. 
Hey, that's ne- that's never a problem. I end up cutting out more than I actually end up preaching. So it's uh, it- it's building up the appetite of the hearers at this point, you know. So yeah, man. All right, so uh, I think we're on point number five of the uh, regulative principle of worship, and that would be give free will offerings to support scriptural worship. To give free will offerings to support other forms of, of of biblical worship. So now we're talking about uh, the idea of giving as worship. Again, as giving as worship. So uh, I think there's some foundational text for this. I think Second Corinthians chapter seven through nine. That 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 whole section of Second Corinthians really builds upon this idea that. Uh, believers must be giving freely and cheerfully uh, as an act of worship. So if you read like a a 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the New Testament doesn't outline or lay out an explicit amount that uh, believers should be giving to the local church, but it does say that believers must and should be giving. Believers are commanded to do this. Um, so Paul says, look, you don't want to do it grudgingly. You don't want to do it under compulsion, but you want to determine an amount that you want to give to the local church as an act of worship. That's right. That And that's, I, I try to remind my church uh, family of this a lot, that giving is worship. It, it is a way in which, uh, the way I say it is every time you place that uh, gift in the offering plate or in the offering box or you click the submit button on the give online portion or whatever it may be, every time you do that, money, it takes a, it, it's a releasing of the grip on your heart that money may have and it's instead submitting that to God. It's, a, it's an act of saying you are worth every bit of what I've given and more. Uh, this is what I've resolved to give. I'm doing so cheerfully. I'm doing so uh, willingly. And, and it's a way of saying, God, you are worth all of this. Um, and it is an aspect, it is a part of gathered corporate worship too. As you, as you mentioned, 2 Corinthians 9, there's there's the principle uh, for, for giving. And you see in that section of Second Corinthians, Paul is talking about the collection to be made, and they're gonna they're gonna give to this church, and he he's basically telling the Corinthians, "Don't embarrass me." Like I, I've told you, or I've told these these guys, that when we come, you guys are great givers, and if I show up and you embarrass me, that's gonna be bad news. So make sure you're ready. I mean, that's what he tells them. But in First Corinthians, in chapter sixteen, we've referenced this verse before, uh, but he says uh, to the, the the church in Corinth, he says, "Concerning the collection for the saints." As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you do the same. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. In other words, he's saying every Sunday you set aside what you have resolved to give, what you've purposed to give, save it up. And then whenever I come, you can give that gift to the other churches is for corporate uh, ministry to be done. Uh, But you do this on a regular basis. It is part of the corporate worship. And so 
passing the offering plate in the middle of the service or uh, however churches decide that they want to do that. It's not just so we can keep the lights on and keep the pastor's uh, families fed. Uh, it's it's an act of worship uh, within the corporate gathering. It, it is a part of a worship service. It's not just uh, we got to pay the bill, so we need to do this. And since everybody's here, let's go ahead and do it now. Like that, it, it is part of worship. It's not just and there's biblical warrant for it, as we've seen. Yeah, man, that's good. I, I don't even have anything to add to that. Um, you know, I think unfortunately, uh, you've seen the extreme health, wealth, and prosperity, uh, you know, false gospel who have tried to manipulate people to give, to fill their pockets. That's not the regular principle. (laughs) That's not the New Testament idea of giving. Um, It's giving for uh, the advancement of the ministry of the church, uh, for the advancement of the gospel um, and those uh, those ministries that are associated with that local assembly. You know, you may have a missionary family um, that needs funds to go overseas uh, to share the gospel. Uh, you know, how are they going to get there? Well, that, that, that's part of that's part of giving. It's giving cheerfully as an act of worship, and then letting the church use that for the furtherance of the gospel. You know the the true the true pastor the true uh, elder the the God honoring biblical churches aren't looking for their bank accounts to increase they're they're looking to be rich towards God and other mm-hmm. rich towards the gospel so that, that's ultimately what giving is about that's man that's a good word and it's a good reminder uh, as we seek to strike that biblical hit hit the biblical bullseye uh while we have all the distortions around us of of as you mentioned this this health wealth and prosperity gospel so uh this is a great reminder for us uh so we've outlined now five elements or components of the gospel or excuse me of biblical worship um and the last two I, i'm just going to push them together lance and then we can yeah, talk about them good. individually but the, the the last two are 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 the sacraments uh the the public partaking of the sacraments and those sacraments, as we would define them, uh, the ordinances, ordinances of believers, baptism and the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. So, uh, Lance, very briefly, why are these two, um, why, why are these two elements together? Why, why do we acknowledge the sacraments as part of a worship service? Um, distinctly. Yeah, well, it goes back with the previous five, at least in terms of being explicitly mentioned in scripture. When we talk about believers' baptism and the Lord's table, there, there's a corporate element to them. In other words, these aren't supposed to be isolated from uh, the church body. They're not supposed That's to be right. isolated from corporate worship. So, you know, this idea of um, believers' baptism and the Lord's table, it, it comes from the only ordinances, the only explicit ordinances that we find in the New Testament, and we see the church carrying out in the book of Acts. Um so it's critical to realize, you know, a couple of things here. One, we must be doing these. We we must be doing these. Now, I do think there's leeway for how often uh, mm-hmm. you would baptize believers and how often you would take of the Lord's table because we don't see uh, we don't see explicit um, references detailing that. I know some take it every Sunday, referring mm-hmm. to the Lord's table. Some at Sunday evening services only. 
Uh, at Countryside, we take it every third Sunday. Uh, so there is some leeway in that. However, uh, there it's non-negotiable in terms of actually doing these ordinances. Right. Um, I, I think believers baptism, I think we have four Sunday evening baptism services uh, throughout the calendar year, a couple baptism class that are, you know, mixed and mingled in there as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these, the, these ordinances are, are non-negotiable. They have to be there. Yeah. And I love what you said. These are, these two ordinances are given to the local church. In other words, uh, this is, this is not something that like me and my buddies just go off and, you know, we're just going to go take the Lord's Supper together, uh, you know, at, at my buddy's apartment just on some Thursday night because, you know, we're just hanging out and we're believers. Like th- that's not what the Lord's Supper is. It's, it's a, uh, the, the visible demonstration. It's, it's a, a, a visible sermon. It's a visible picture of the gospel, the bread being broken and distributed. And it's a unifying, uh, it's a unifying worship element because all of us are partaking of the same bread as Paul talks about in first Corinthians 10. Um, talking about the same bread of the same cup because we are one body, uh, and we are made one body by the broken body of Christ. And so, um, it, it is designed for the local church. And so the church is the one that administers these elements and the administration of these, uh, of these ordinances, um, takes place within the corporate gathering of believers. In other words, I'm not just going to like, as a pastor, it's like, oh, okay, this guy comes to my office and we sat down and we chatted and uh, he, he, he confesses and he uh, repents and he believes and, and he understands baptism. And I say, hey, you know what? Let's just hop up here to the baptistry and, and I'll go ahead and dip you real quick and you'll, we'll be good. Like, no, we want the whole church to participate in this. Like, it's, it's, an, it's an outward uh, proclamation of the good news of the gospel. We want the church to affirm this. We want to see the visible demonstration here uh, of a, a sinner coming to faith in Christ in order to encourage believers, in order to, to affirm this individual among the saints. And so it is to be administered, it is to be directly given within corporate worship. And so uh, these um, these ordinances um, are, are going to occur and must occur uh, within a local church's corporate gathering. Yeah, that's good, man. I think that wraps up the meat of the episode right there. Uh, yeah, those those seven elements, man, non-negotiable. They they have to be there, um, and that's essentially and, what and the regular would, principle. Right, and we would and we would say only those seven elements. Yep. That there should not be additional uh, components or, or elements added to that list because the Bible regulates what those uh, what a worship service should look like, what corporate worship should look like. And those are the elements that we should see each and every Sunday when we gather, um, aside from potentially uh, the ordinances, which may be a little bit less frequent, but the others uh, should be there every single Sunday. And there should be no question about it. There should be no surprises there. Um, uh, now, Lance, we've we've tried to hit the biblical argument here. I know we're we're running a little shorter on time, and that's okay. Uh, but but just real brief, as you mentioned, we you mentioned this at the beginning. We're we're not wanting to be out on an island and saying, yeah, look, we came up with this idea, or our churches do this, this is really good. Um, this actually has historical precedent. So one of the things, if you're new to the podcast. One of the things that we always aim to do is uh, biblical arguments. Where does the scripture uh, 
explicitly teach how do how do we respond to that and then we go and look at by the way how has church history understood these things and so you you've gathered a handful of of really uh, succinct and and well stated uh, quotes here from church history any any ones that you want to particularly highlight i'm just going to hand that section over to you and let you kind of <laughs> run through the the historical side yeah um carl truman wrote a book i don't know 15 or so years ago called reformation um and he basically outlines what we talked about in this particular episode. But at the end of the book, he says, worship that is true will focus on these trends. The word read, the word sung, the word prayed, the word seen. And he's talking about baptism in the Lord's table there and the word preached. We owe these things to God's people, more importantly, to God himself. Mm. Um, yeah, John Calvin wrote, in the 16th century, God disproves of all modes of worship not explicitly sanctioned uh, by his word. Um, and then, of course, you could go look at the Westminster Confession of Faith. You could go look at the 1689 uh, London Baptist Confession. Uh, they make these same arguments, and they make them beautifully, just like those gorgeous confessions always do. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, and again, you could go back to even the the second century with uh, guys like Justin Martyr, who he he describes a, a a second century worship service, and you see all of these elements here, and he has yeah. no idea that it's the quote unquote regulative principle of worship. He's just describing right. what's going on in, in in the local assembly. I I remember reading an excerpt of Justin Martyr describing that, and and just being blown away and so incredibly encouraged, but also just reminded of the, of the simplicity that we don't need to make this more complicated than it is. We we simply do those elements as outlined in scripture, as the church, uh, the true church has for centuries, has faithfully demonstrated over the course of time. And that is our call, uh, is to be uh, those that are faithful in doing those things. And, and that's it. I mean, we, we I'm not, I don't need to invent new things. I, I don't need to try to be like this innovative, how am I going to no, just do what the word says? And, um, and God is faithful, uh, to do that. So, um, so I think that th- there's, there's an argument to be made that this is, again, the historical understanding of how the church has been established, how the church has functioned, how the church has gathered for worship. And, um, and we want to just simply continue, uh, in that biblical line uh, of faithful uh, worship services. Yeah, man, that is that is spot on. Um, anything else you got before we pop into the uh, pop into the initiative? I see a couple more things you've got down here on the guide. Do you want to roll through those quickly? Yeah, just just real quick, and and again, we can be really brief. But let me let me just ask you one question. Just as if I've, I'm trying to th- put myself in the shoes of somebody listening to this episode, because we 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 aim for making this accessible to the church. We're, we're, we're thinking about the local church. Uh, so so if you're listening to this episode you, you, and you're hearing all of these things, how do you respond to, or how do you think about the local church? So I, I hear all these things. I don't know if my church is doing the regular principle or not. Never heard my pastor say those words. Uh, what What advice, what counsel would you give for someone when it comes to uh, being a a faithful follower of Christ as it relates to the regulative principle of worship. 
I don't know. I can't answer those kind of questions, man. I'm just an intern. <laughs> That's not true anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I would say that one, yeah, you've got to know and understand what the scripture says and you have to be able to defend it. Also, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we need to actively hold our churches accountable uh, to each one of these principles or the regular principle, each component of the regular principle. I think if it's not going on in your church, uh, I think I think it would be wise to just go talk to the church leaders, you know, and uh, plead your case, show your case from the scriptures. I think it's okay doing that if you've got the right spirit and the right heart about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, if there doesn't seem to be a, a change in, in, in a biblical direction, uh, I think it would be okay to begin maybe looking for another church that, that wants to hold not to just the regulative principle, but holding to the elements of that. Um, that's right. So, I mean, uh, I guess initial thoughts, that's where I'd go. That's man, that's outstanding. And and you're right. It's not holding the regulative principle for regulative principle's sake. The regulative principle is itself guardrails. They are there. It's a principle which regulates and guides worship to point us to the word. And so uh, you, you had put a note on here. You, you can't just simply live stream this from home. Uh, we, we, we've talked about that with the pandemic, man, you got to be active. You got to be a member. You got to be involved. You got to be present. You got to gather with the saints. You got to make it a priority in your life. And as you do so, uh, you, you, you look for these elements and if scripture is not being publicly read or if there's not, or if the, the music is not being, it's not biblically based. It's just, yeah, it sounds Christian-ish, uh, but it's it's just basically a country love song with God's name inserted. Well, that's not really, that's not really singing the word. And so, yeah, talk to your church leaders and say, look, th- these are the things uh, th- that I see in scripture. And I, I want us to, to be that kind of church. And if instead mm-hmm. what you get is like this big fancy skit every other Sunday, or you've got like a uh, a magician coming up on stage and performing, or you got somebody coming up there and giving a, a speech, but not really preaching from the word. I mean, that that's a that's a red flag. And so you just gotta mm-hmm. you just gotta seek biblical wisdom in this. And as you mentioned, Lance, like let that be your guide uh, for for joining into a local church, and let that be something that uh, that helps you uh, navigate that season. So, um, man, that's that's really good. Um, with, with that being said, any, any other comments and then we'll, or do we need to just go ahead and hop into that initiative? No, I'm, I'm going to send you, I'm going to send one question your way, man, because I want okay. you to answer this and then I'll kick us off after that with the initiative. But okay. it, I mean, it sounds like the regular principle is putting God in a box. What, what if someone comes to you and says, look, TJ, man, I, I appreciate you working through these seven elements, but I don't know, man, it seems like you're just putting God in a box. Like you're kind of limiting uh, you know, how I can express myself to God. I mean, what, how would you respond to that? What What would you say to that? Yeah, I, th- I think it would probably depend on the person saying it in the spirit that they've uh, said those things to me. Um, but my gut instinct in response, at least the, the, the premise behind it would simply be that God put himself in the box. Uh, the, he, he boxed up, so to speak, his own guide for worship. And he did that in the form of the scriptures. Uh, In other words, um, I'm not going to just have this, whatever I feel like doing, as you mentioned, judges and whatever seems right in my eyes, 
I am now stepping outside of the box that God has has put Himself in. Um, I think about uh, the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter twenty. God says, "You shall not make for yourself a carved image or anything, uh, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or is in the earth beneath, or is in the water under the earth. You should not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of your fathers and the children of the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me." showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. He's saying the way you worship me matters and and you don't get to just say, well, you know what? I'm going to make this image and it's going to represent God and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. He he, he said, you don't get to do that. Uh, You don't have that freedom. God himself has outlined what worship looks like and we must simply follow and be obedient. And, And I would, the last thing I would say is this, God's guide and structure for corporate worship is better than yours. So whatever whatever ideas you think and you're thinking, well, that puts God in the box. I promise God's box is better than your ideas. He doesn't need your ideas. And so um, his design, his structure, his flow, his uh, dis- description of corporate worship and and the guiding principle we've seen throughout the course of church history, it is sufficient. It is good. It is uh it is adequate. It doesn't need to be improved. It's it's uh, it's edifying to 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 the saints and is honoring and glorifying to God. Yeah, man, just dropping bombs as we finish I, episode I, one I, of season three. Goodness. Can't help it. Okay, dude. All right. So initiative. T- t- take 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 us home. I need to calm down. <laughs> yeah, let me take this. All right, calm down over there. Um, <laughs> yeah, my initiative would simply be for the pastors, elders, deacons, you know, that are overseeing and shepherding churches. I, I, you know, I, I would submit a call to uh, come back to biblical worship, biblical corporate worship on Sunday morning based on what Scripture has explicitly said. And then for those in the pew, for those in the congregation, my call for you would be um, to uphold these principles and... Mm-hmm. Um, with wisdom and with the right heart and attitude, checking your own sinful self and sinful ways first, I, I, I would not uh, cower down from having conversations with your leaders if they aren't doing these things. Um, and, and if there is no change over over time, you know, you wouldn't expect it and, and don't expect maybe something to happen the, the following Sunday, but over the course of weeks and months, um, if there is no change in a biblical direction, then I, I think it would be um, a good idea to look for a church that wants to uphold Scripture on Sunday mornings. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Amen. Man, that's well said. Um, I think for my initiative, um, the way I would say this is that corporate worship, you said it right, it's a big deal. And corporate worship should be God-honoring. It should be Christ-exalting. It should be um, saints edifying, so to speak. Uh, But biblical worship should always be established upon and centered upon the Word of God. So when we gather together, we read the Word, we pray the Word, we Mm -hmm. sing the Word, we preach the Word. Uh, We it's word centered, and so the Bible Mm -hmm. is the driving force uh, to point to Christ. It's not about the Bible itself. It's about Christ, but the way in which we 
understand, as we've talked about this, God has revealed himself to us in his word. And so uh, in order to, uh, to exalt Christ, in order to make much of the gospel, in order to proclaim the excellencies uh, of the, the second person of the Trinity, in order to glorify God, it must be word-centered worship. And so um, everything we do must be driven by that. And, um, and that's what the regulative principle seeks to, uh, to, to, to assist us with. It helps put those guardrails up. And so, uh, that's what worship is all about. Any, any closing thoughts, Lance? No, man, that's it. That's it. All right. So we are one episode in to season three of the Reformed Informants. If, if you're not doing so, maybe you just found us or maybe you just listen to us every week, but you haven't subscribed. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. You can uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can like us on uh, social media. We're on Facebook at Reformed Informants. We're on Instagram and Twitter at our underscore informants. And you can find links to all of our social media platforms, all of our previous episodes. Uh, we have a shop and you can find all of that on our website, which is at www.themajestiesmen.com slash Reformed Informants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com. 